Thank you, Audrey. Uh, let me pray for us as well. Lord Jesus, we're so privileged to, to be together this morning, both the, the uh, part of Outward that is in Silverton and the part that's, that's here, Lord, as we come together. But we ask that you'd speak to us as, as a church, that you'd speak to us as your people in these two, two separate cities. And Lord, that you would impress upon us your reality, what you want to see happen. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to understanding what you want here and now, in this time and in this place. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Welcome, Silverton folks. Listen, this is going to be kind of embarrassing for some of you, but if, if you are from Silverton and you made the trip, would you mind just standing for me real quick just so we can, we can see? Uh, look at that. Woo! Nice. Nice. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Really appreciate it. I, I wanted to show you a handful of guys uh, from here, and that is our, our, our elders, the elders that are here. I, don't, I, I didn't tell them I was doing this in advance, but um, if you're an elder at Outward Church, um, would you stand <laughs> real quick? This could be interesting. Yes. Okay. There, yes, there, there. We have, I think, seven elders right now. Um, and so, yeah, we're missing a couple. There might be a couple in the back. Okay, awesome. So we do have elders, and so if you're from either Outward Church in Salem or Silverton and you didn't know that, we do have uh, a group of men that get together. We talk and pray about what God is doing here at Outward Church. Uh, we're excited about what he's doing here at Outward Church. And listen, uh, our, our hope, our prayer is that uh, Outward Silverton is only the beginning of churches that get planted through uh, Outward Church in Salem and Silverton, that this would just be the first fruits of what God is going to do here. And what that means is that we need many, many more leaders. We'll plant as we have the leaders to do so. And so we're, we're looking for uh, men who want to rise up and, and lead as lead pastors. And then we're also looking for uh, all kinds of people, men and women, who would be throughout the church and serving and wanting to see a community um, in one particular place uh, ministered to. So our, our deep hope is that uh, Salem and surrounding areas would be uh, affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that transforms them so that they can see their city the way that Jesus sees uh, their city. And so uh, this morning, this passage is, is gonna be a great passage for us because I think it's, it, it may not be entirely understood all the time exactly what's going on there because you have Jesus who's writing in and what's happening is this, is that he's riding in, he's on this lightning quick steed, this donkey, he's riding in and people are putting palm branches down, that's what it says in the book of John, and then they're throwing their cloaks down and they're putting cloaks on, the, on this donkey and he's riding through and they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and they're yelling and they're screaming, they're saying, yes, 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 this is amazing and then at the end of the passage, what you see is you see Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem where he should be loved, he should be adored, he should be received as king because he is the Messiah who has come to redeem his people and yet it's not in the way that they want it to, but he is the Messiah, he's the one that the Jewish people, the Israelites have been waiting for, they've been listening to the prophecies, they've been hearing all these things and they've been waiting and waiting for him and then he shows up in this way and they reject him and Jesus comes around the corner 
And Jerusalem comes in view, and he just starts crying. He just can't hold it together. He just starts crying because he just longs for them to know the truth. He longs for them to know what would have made for peace with God. What would have led them to this place of everlasting peace? What would have brought them to this moment where they're, where they're finally just like, yes, Jesus, and they're walking with him. And he wants the same thing for you. He wants this for you. He wants you to see that he is the only one who can bring peace to your life. And it's not your politics, and it's not your job or your family or your kids or anything like that. It is just him as king. But do you see him as king of your life? Because this, I'm going to tell you the whole sermon right here. And that is, if Jesus is truly your king, if you can, if you can forget everything else, if Jesus is truly your king, you'll be able to weep over your city. But if Jesus is not your king, I will continue, we will continue to be self-centered, fighting, anxious, angry, proud, rude, Let's go through all of them, right? We will continue to be that way. But increasingly, as Jesus becomes our king, we're able to put away all other kings, and we can come to a place where we say, I want to follow him. I want him to be the number one thing in my life. And we started out with church so many years ago. I mean, it, it, feels, it feels like an eternity to me. I, I think I had heard statistics early on that like, it's like a restaurant, you know, you have like seven years to, to figure out whether you're going to make it or not. And on the eighth year, I was like, I'm still not sure I'm going to make it. Like, what's, what's going on here? Like, but Jesus has been so gracious to us. But we, we planted this church because we saw a generation of people that didn't fit into the traditional church the way that it was. We see the message of Jesus, and we see the gospel as so incredibly important. We see it as the message that does not change, but we saw many people walking away because they couldn't understand the method, the way that it was being communicated. And so God led us to start a church, and we started this church with the premise of this, and that is that if we could get people to, instead of living inwardly, encourage them towards living outwardly. Instead of uh, causing them to be self-focused and so focused on their own stuff, and st instead of uh, people being so focused on whether they would become successful or whether, uh, like, I'm going to go serve Jesus on this mission trip and then maybe he'll give me everything that I want or I'll go to a Christian school and maybe I'll get a ring by spring and everything will be fantastic. No, nothing against you Corbin folks, sorry, all right, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, you know it, all right, but maybe if I just, if I went to church more frequently, then God would bless my inappropriate relationship with this woman, God would bless the things that I'm doing, all of this stuff, God would bless me financially so that I could spend more money on myself, and Jesus wants you to hear something this morning, and that is that you cannot live life that way. That is just the way that the world is living. That is the way that most of the church today is living. Now, we're not critical of, 
of other fantastic churches in our city that preach the gospel because we believe that they believe the same things. But this is our focus here at Outward Church, is to take us from being inward individuals and bring us into being a community that is about others. And that only happens as we see Jesus as king. A couple of things. Number one, Jesus is king. That's what you got to see in this passage. You see what they were doing here in verse 35 and throwing their cloaks on the colt? They set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, and as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Well, you, you must see from this passage, which is typically preached on the week before Easter. It's called Palm Sunday, is what, is what that week is called. And it's because in other passages, not in this passage, uh, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, but in other passages, it says that they laid down palm branches. But we call it Palm Sunday. And it's because of this. Because Jesus is being treated as a king. Jesus is being treated as a king because of all of the mighty works that he had done. People had seen everything that he was doing. They had seen the characteristics of who he was and what he was like and how gentle and kind he was. It reminds me of Chevy Chase. I don't know if you know who Chevy Chase is, but um, I'm I, you know, if you can get past all the innuendos in some of his movies and stuff like that, uh, it, it, he's, he's hilarious. Like, I, I love Chevy Chase. You know, the three amigos, uh, Fletch, and then Fletch lives. I have a couple of friends, and we always quote Fletch lines back and forth to each other. But the funniest part of Chevy Chase is, are his, his facial expressions. That's, that's what makes him so funny. It is his facial expressions. If you watch a Chevy Chase movie, just watch his face while he's telling a joke, what he's saying, and it will be so much funnier my wife would probably get the jokes better if she, if she did that as well. What, are you guys awake this morning? Come on, come on. Oh my gosh. All right, maybe I just have bad jokes. But uh, in any case, uh, if you watch Chevy Chase's face, you, then you'll get it. And here's Jesus. We're talking in the book of Luke here, and we're saying real Jesus. We're, we, we call this section of Luke the real Jesus, and it's because we want to see Jesus for who he is. These people saw him for who he is. It's for his mighty works, but it's not just his mighty works. It is, it is his person. It is, it is what he's like and, and how he acts and what he's, what he's doing with his power, how he's ministering to people, how he's speaking to them. Jesus is king. What this means, though, is that there is nothing else that can be king. We as Americans, and really just the world in general, love to make people king. Even though we don't have a royal family here, we're not the, the UK or England, I, I suppose. Uh, we are Americans, but we make people king all the time. Whether it's celebrities or uh, people with, with money or, or power or, or fame or uh, amazing athletes, uh, Stuff like that. We have people that we have made king in our lives. We look at them and we say, they are king. We look at especially some of our political leaders and we say, they are king. 
And here's the thing. You can't live without having something as king in your life. One way or another, you have to have a king over some segment of your life. Many of you know this. You've become completely uh, enslaved by something. It has become king in your life. You've come to the point where you say, you've said, I have to get rid of this thing in my life. I have to get rid of this addiction. I have to get rid of this habit. I've got to get rid of whatever it is. It, somehow, something has become king in your life. That's an extreme example of it. But all of us, to some degree or another, have a king in our lives. We can't live without having a king. And it's even good things. You can make your kids king, and you can do whatever they want you to do. And where does that lead you to? It leads you to kids who are <laughs> rule the roost, who do whatever they want. You hear them in the grocery store all the time, screaming at the top of their lungs while a mom just acts like nothing's going on, and you're just going, what in the world? Discipline your child. What is happening? Our world is full of people who have made their children king. Our world is full of people who have made relationship king. Our world is full of people who have made sex king. Our world is full of people who have decided that they will be king. This is what happens oftentimes in the breakdown of a marriage, is that you're just not the same person that you were uh, when I first married you. Now you've become a different person. And really what we're saying oftentimes in those situations is we're saying, you don't uphold me as king. We come together and we, and we say, I am king. Or we can say, you know what, you're the king. I'm king or you're king or something like that, some combination of that. But both of those things won't work because you'll get to a point where you say, you know, you're really not the king that I thought you were. Or you're really not treating me the way that I wanted to be treated as king over this relationship. Jesus rides in and he says, I am king. And he's fulfilling the prophecy from Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. And then it says something else, which is our second point. Jesus is, is the king. The second thing is Jesus is the gentle king. What does it say? It says, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Wow, that does not sound exciting. I was listening to Tim Keller's sermon on this, and I gotta be honest with you. The triumphal entry, which is what this is titled oftentimes in Bibles, or is what it's called, uh, it does not feel very triumphal to me uh, because the way that it is described. It, it, it would be a little bit like a president riding in an, in an inaugural parade in a Prius, right? No offense to, to Kevin Mangles, but, um, but it, it is not the lightning quick steed that you would be hoping for. Uh, Tim Keller has a great sermon on this, and, and he uh, basically says, uh, you know, it, it's like Jesus came to his disciples, and he, said, and he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. 
I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem. And they're like, yes, he's finally going to let his message out. He's finally going to be what we've always hoped that he would be, that he would show that he is king and he would knock the Romans out and it would be so fantastic. And Jesus says, I'm going to ride on this. And they're like, what? Jesus, come on. Like this, this doesn't work for me because this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, I want you to go borrow a donkey. I want you to go borrow this, this colt of a donkey, this foal, it says. And what is that talking about? It's talking about a donkey that has never been ridden before. And it's, it's, I have no idea how high it is, but I imagine those little ponies in the, uh, you know, in the little, uh, little riding thing. And Jesus is an adult, and so he sits on it, and his feet are like touching the ground as he's going. And so there's some cloaks on there, and he's riding this just really pitiful looking animal. And I gotta tell you, like, I'm somebody who wants Jesus to come back on that white horse with the sword coming out of his mouth from Revelation. Like, that sounds pretty crazy. Like, Jesus sounds like a, a really amazing. I don't know what's up with the sword coming out of his mouth. I think it's the word of God as he's speaking, but it's just a weird picture. I wanna see Jesus on the white horse. I don't like Jesus on the donkey, all right? I don't know about you, but I don't like Jesus on the donkey. What is Jesus telling us? What should we see in Jesus? What should we see in his face? And it's this, that he's humble and he's gentle. Jesus is humble and he is gentle, unlike any other ruler in our world. Who rules our world today? The anxious, the angry, the politically motivated, the people who are fed up, people who are fighting mad. This is what our world runs on. I think John Mark Comer talks about this a lot, and he has this great phrase, which I've always, I always forget to look up, but uh, he basically says that our world runs on anger, anxiety, frustration, all of those things. And if you want to participate with this world, then you're going to have to participate with those things. Jesus rides in, and, and he is saying this to you today. If I am going to be your king, what you need to understand is this, is that I'm a different kind of king than you have ever seen before. Because I am gentle, I am humble, and I am riding on a donkey that has never been ridden. And when I come, I bring that level of gentleness, not just to the world, but to your soul. Not just to the world, but to the very heart of who you are. I bring that gentleness. Why do we need that kind of gentleness? Because if you make anything else your king, that is a part of this world, if you make anything else your absolute king, what happens? If you, if you make your job your king, if you, make, uh, if you make your career that thing that is ultimate to you, what happens if you fail it? You lose that job. Your job isn't humble and gentle and riding on a donkey. 
Your job is proud and riding on this massive horse. And that king will strike you down so quick that your head will spin. If you make your marriage your king, if you say, you know what, I think that I'll make my marriage my king, and I'll make my family my king, but even your really great marriage and your really great relationship, if that becomes your ultimate source of happiness, if that, if that becomes your ultimate source of, of pleasure, if that becomes your ultimate source, what happens when your marriage fails you? What happens when your spouse fails you? What happens when you fail your spouse? That king is not humble and gentle and riding on a donkey. That king is proud and rude and sends you to the floor. Jesus says, I am a different kind of king. I am, I am gentle with all of my loyal subjects, even in the most difficult moments, even in the moments where they feel like they have failed me, even when they actually have failed me so pervasively that it is like they should be wiped out. And any human king, any other ideology that is king would have smashed them and dashed them to the ground. But Jesus says, I am not that kind of king. I am humble and I am gentle and I am riding on a donkey. This is who I am, Jesus says. So what happens when Jesus is your king? What happens when Jesus becomes your true king and he is the one who has ultimate power over you. The one thing that I've always thought was so weird about this story, like literally thought about this so many times, Jesus sends somebody or a couple of his disciples in town ahead of him and says, uh, go find this colt that's tied up I want you to grab it for me, tell them the Lord needs it. They'll let you have it. And I want you to bring it back. And what's specified there is that it, it's, it's a donkey that no one's ever ridden before. And here's Jesus, and he's about to have this prophecy-fulfilling ride through the, the streets where people are praising and and, and singing and yelling and it's supposed to be this amazing parade and Jesus is supposed to get on this donkey and everything's supposed to go fine but the problem is that the donkey's never been ridden before now I'm not from Silverton but I think I know that you can't just get on some donkey and just start riding. Am I right? Does everybody here know about donkeys? That's what Silver did. They're all smiling and laughing. Sorry, I had to throw one in there. But um, when you get on a, an animal that's never been ridden, like it's not going to go well the first time around. But again, Tim Keller points out this isn't just any master 
that's hopping on the back of this horse. This isn't just some, some Joe Blow that's getting on this, this, uh, this donkey and is going to start riding it. No, this is the creator God. This is the creator who comes and gets on this, this donkey, who gets on this thing, and it feels like it's going to be too heavy for him. Like a grown man on this little baby donkey that's never been ridden, and, and, and it, like, it feels like it's going to be too heavy. And that thing is going to freak out. But this is the master. See, here's what happens. Is that we say, if I make him king, or rather, if I acknowledge him as king of my life, and what's going to happen is I'm going to freak out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to freak out because of all the things I don't get to do. If I make him king, then I have to stop this. If I make him king, then I have to start that. If I make him king, then I can't be happy. I, it can't be my source of pleasure. But here's the thing. It's the master. It's the creator who created you, the donkey in this perspective here. He created you, and when he gets on, when he begins to rule you, when he takes the reins, if you will, of your life, when he does this, it's different than any other master. He calms the creature. He brings peace to the life of the person who makes him king. He brings, he brings understanding. He brings knowledge. He brings, he, he brings all kinds of wisdom. He brings a sense of assuredness of saying, I don't have to have everything else. I don't need to go along with this political ideology just because I'm a Christian and I also happen to be conservative. I don't have to engage in sexual immorality and feel like I'm being left out because my creator is the one who has the reins over my life and he is my king and he is the one who's leading me in this way and all I need to do is I just need to follow his direction in my life. And what can happen as a result of people who have the true king as their master is a life that's been transformed. See, you may have made Jesus your savior. You may like, you, you, you may have made Jesus your savior, savior. You may have walked the aisle at some point. There was an old thing that happened. I don't wanna say it's that old. I think people probably still do it, but walked the aisle at church. Pastor says, I want you to come forward if you wanna believe in Jesus Christ. You walked the aisle, you came here. Jesus was your savior in your mind. But has Jesus ever become your king? You may have acknowledged the fact, yeah, I'm, I don't always have everything right, and yeah, I do think I'll be held accountable for that, and so I got Jesus as my savior. But the question is this, is that, is Jesus just your savior, or is he your savior king? He may be your comforter. He may be somebody that you look to and you say, Jesus, 
I need help in this situation. We often do that when, when life isn't going so well and we come and we say, Jesus, you know, my family member died or my life is falling apart, my marriage fell apart and things aren't going the way that I want them to and, and Jesus, Jesus, would you comfort me in this situation? He may be your comforter, but is he your king? Is he your king? Because when Jesus becomes king, this is what happens is that he rules and he reigns as king over our lives. And so here's the question, like, can Jesus come into your life and can Jesus speak the truth and have you hear it and have you obey? Can Jesus come in and say, that relationship will not do for me? As a loyal subject of mine, you cannot have that kind of relationship. You cannot continue to engage in this. Can Jesus come into your life and say, you do not manage your business in the way that a loyal subject should manage his or her business? I, you've been foolish with money. You've, you've, been, you've been foolish with your clients. You've cheated people. You've, wh whatever it is, you, you believe that everything is yours to spend on yourself. Have you submitted your business plan to Jesus? Have you submitted your finances to Jesus? Have you submitted your relationships? Have you submitted your job? Have you submitted your schooling? Have you submitted whatever? Because when Jesus is king... He takes precedent over all those things. And he brings room into the lives of people who have not had room before. Because sometimes Jesus says, well, that may not be a bad thing. It's just not a God thing right now. That's too many hours for you, bro. If you're going to serve Jesus, if you're going to spend time serving Jesus... Uh, with the local community, with the, with the church, if you're gonna have time for your neighbors, if you're going to uh, fill in the blank, disciple people, if you're gonna use your gifts for the glory of God, if you're gonna do anything like that, then that, that can't be the right thing. Have you submitted that to Jesus? Is Jesus your king? How do you make him king? It says early on in the passage. It says in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And what, what, what things did he say? What things is he talking about? He's talking about what had happened before. He had said... He had said some things like this to, uh, to the Pharisees that said, why do you hang out with tax collectors and sinners? And he says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And then he's dealing with this parable of the ten minas because people thought he was going to come back and he was going to uh, institute the kingdom of God immediately and it was going to happen and so Jesus tells this long story saying, it's not going to happen immediately, and I just want you to use your gifts for my glory. So Jesus has said, I care about the lost, 
In the meantime, I want you to use your gifts for the glory of God and to advance the kingdom of God, even though the kingdom of God has not been fully instituted yet. And then now he's coming in in this triumphal entry, but it says, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Here is your king who says, I came for the lost. I want you to be about the lost. And guess what? I'm leading the pack and going through the suffering that it takes to save the lost. And that includes you. That includes me. Jesus leads the pack. Charles Spurgeon has a whole sermon just on that verse. He went on ahead. Jesus is, lead, Jesus is leading this triumphal procession. He is the first one in line, and he is going to suffer. He's leading ahead. And what you need to know about that is this, is that Jesus leads the pack to die for you, to suffer for all of your sin, to suffer for all of the false ways that you've tried to make everything else king. Even right here and right now, Jesus led the pack. That's why he's king. He is king because he led the pack. And he's leading us in this triumphal procession to suffer with him. See, in making Jesus king, you have to first see that he, what he went through to be king. The suffering that he went through. And that changes things. It's like seeing the face of Chevy Chase. When you see the face of Chevy Chase in a movie and you go, ah, I understand that. Look at Jesus' face as he's on his way to suffer for you, even though he is king. Look at his face. Because what is he doing? He's not stoic. He's not this hard man who's, I guess I gotta do this for my people. What's he doing? He's weeping for you. He's weeping for Jerusalem, but vicariously he's weeping for you. What he says about his people from Luke 23, verse 34, at his crucifixion, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus said that about Jerusalem, and he says that about you. He wants you to experience his kingship in a way that says, I'm weeping over you. I'm crying for you. I'm crying out for you. For some of you who are Christians, what is he crying over? He is crying over the areas of your life that you do not understand what makes for peace. Look at that section of the passage with me. And when he drew near and saw the city, verse 41, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, which are now hidden from your eyes. Jesus 
wants you to hear something. Our world cannot come by peace on its own. It thinks it can through the political leaders that it elects and the celebrities that it praises and the, the kings that we make in and through our culture. Jesus is saying this. He's weeping over your inability to know the things that make for peace in your life, which is Jesus as king. And so what happens when you get that? What happens when you allow Jesus to be your king, when you allow him to communicate to you in a way that, that you, you see his face for everything that he is, and you just go, man, I... I see his love for me. I see his care for me. I see that he's the creator and that I am everything that I am supposed to be. I'm more me than I ever was when I'm in the hands of the creator. When you see that, what happens is your heart begins to explode with an empathy for your community. And what I'm here begging for you to know this morning is that Jesus looks at our city and he weeps over the day. What is the day? It is judgment day. It is the day of your demise. It is the day of our city. It's when those people pass on who do not know Jesus. What I want to communicate to you this morning is that Jesus is looking at our city, and he weeps over it. Jesus looks at the city of Silverton, and he weeps over it, and he says, man, would you, I wish you just would have known the things that make for peace, and guess what? There's at least a, a couple of other churches, along with ours in Silverton, that long for that city to know the things that make for peace, which is forgiveness and grace uh, from God through Jesus Christ. And we get to bring it to him. Won't you weep over the city? Look at the face of Jesus. And look at how he's weeping over you. Look at the face of Jesus as your king who comes gentle and humble, riding on a donkey of all things in order to communicate his grace and his mercy. And then look at your city. And I'm praying that your heart would be torn broken for the people that don't know Jesus, who is the way of peace. Look at our city, Salem here. And how many of us are dead in our faith and have not shared the gospel with anybody? How many of us walk around with no joy because we're so mad at the government that the only thing that we can talk about is all of the mandates that we hate? And I I'm kind of with you. I know I'm showing my cards here a little bit. I'm kind of with you. But Jesus is king. And not Kate Brown. And Jesus is king. And not Joe Biden. And Jesus is king. And not anybody else. How can you walk around without joy and misrepresent your king? How can you not share the gospel, the good news that your life can be transformed with Jesus as king who went to the cross for you. How can you not be a transformer? Somebody who is 
transforming other people through the power of the Holy Spirit, not on your own, but through your presence as somebody who has the peace of God. Jesus is calling you and me to weep with him over our city because we know what it's like to be under the care because we know what it's like to have, to have Jesus the King have the reins of our life and steering us, and we see the beauty, we see the mercy, we see the grace, we see how amazing it is to have him be in charge of us, and we want to bring that to other people. How could you not long for that? Do you long for it? Do you long for that level of motivation? Because Jesus... Jesus says, like, in the end times, there's going to be people who came to me, and, they, and they're, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy? Didn't I, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that for you? Didn't I serve at church? Wasn't I a community group leader? Wasn't I this kind of person? Wasn't I that kind of person? And Jesus has this startling statement that says, depart from me, I never knew you. And I don't know why Jesus says that, except to tell us something. You could be really involved in Outward Silverton. You could be really involved in Outward Salem. You could be somebody that attends, maybe even regularly. But somehow, these people didn't know him as king. I don't know how. He doesn't tell us. Somehow, we don't know him as king. And I think that's a pretty good caution for us. Is Jesus your king? Because he comes humble and gentle and riding on a donkey. And he's weeping over you. Is he your king? Won't you follow him? He's inviting you into relationship. More than just relationship with yourself. He's inviting you not just to have a better life, not to just have some more morals, not to uh, just you know, want your kids to um, learn the Bible stories, not just that Jesus is inviting you into the gracious mercy of his rule and reign. I want you to follow him. I, I'm... I, I wanted to preach this morning in a way that just longs for us as a church to be about more than ourselves. By God's grace, we haven't had any ridiculous arguments about the color of the carpet. And I swear I will close this thing down before something like that happens. I ain't doing it, all right? Like, that is such foolishness. We'll go do something else. I'll start a community group, something like that. Can we be about the grace of Jesus? And we, we don't have any of these fights. I'm not speaking to anybody. There's nobody who's like uh, battling with me or with us or anything like that. But while we've got the whole church together right now, can we be about the Father's business? Can we be about other people? Can we live outwardly? What's that look like? It looks like I've made time in my schedule to be able to serve people.
people in our community. I, I've made time in my budget in order to give to the work of Jesus at Outward Church. I, I've, I've made time in my life to hear from Jesus and to, to long for his presence. Like, do you long for Jesus' presence? I, I, I find myself in this situation oftentimes as a lead pastor because I, I have to study the Bible all the time in order to preach, but I have to ask myself, do I want the presence of Jesus in my life or is it just something that I get paid to do? Because I have to ask myself that question all of the time. It's not just like one time, it's like all of the time. It's like, if, and if I'm there, I don't know where you're at necessarily, and maybe you're just so much better than I am, and I'm saying praise, praising God for that for you, but do we long for the presence of Jesus in our life as king, looking for him to lead us and to reign over us, and what effect does that, do we have an effect on Salem? Do we have an effect on Silverton? And I see great things. We have an awesome service out in Silverton. We have an awesome church service here in, in Salem. We're doing THX, which by the way, you should give to because we're really low on funds for that. I'll just insert that there. I just remembered it. Uh, so maybe feel guilty and give to that. That'd be great. But once you get over that guilt, know that Jesus went to the cross for it and, and then you're fine. But listen, or do we weep over our city? I, this wasn't the part of the sermon. Do, are we weeping over the people in our city that don't know Jesus? Do you care at all? If you don't care, I want to ask, is Jesus your king? Do you long for his presence in your life? Could we be a church of people that are passionately involved in the idea of Jesus, take it all. Take everything, take my time, take my marriage, take my kids, take my car, take my house, take everything. Like, could we be about that? Can we not be about just our thing and our stuff and feeling good about the people that we're in community group with and having our preferences as to who leads worship and who doesn't lead worship and having our preferences on who preaches and who doesn't preach? Can we be about what Jesus has for us? That's what I want to say. Just took me 42 minutes to get there. Let's go to the Lord's table. And I invite them forward here.